So we've been talking about some principles that we hold as real life church that makes this place different. What is it about real life that matters? It's always Christ. It's always Jesus. But what is our focus? If you go on our website, you see kind of a list of different things that we kind of hold as important as a church because of our experiences in the past and because of what we believe most importantly that the Bible has to say as to what kind of people that we should be as a church. And really kind of the question for this morning is, is this, is who's welcome here? Who's welcome at Real Life Church? Because it hasn't always been the case in my experience that when I've walked into a church or I've, I've been a youth pastor and some of the teenagers that have come have been welcome and have been loved at church. That's always broken my heart and it's always actually kind of frustrated me to the point of, of anger, really, at sometimes, to be honest, that the church is not loving and not being the people that Jesus wants them to be. And by no means do I think that we are perfect And by no means do I think that our church is better than any other church. But I look at what Scripture has to say, and I say, this has to be our goal. These must be the things that we focus on when we share the gospel, the good news, the truth, the love of Christ with everyone that we meet. These things are important because if you don't fit, if you don't feel welcome, nothing else seems to be heard Nothing else seems to matter at times. You can't hear what people say if you don't believe that they love you, if they don't care about you, if it's just an agenda, if it's just politics, if it's just you fitting into what they think you should look like and do and all that kind of stuff. So it's important. Who is welcome here? One of the the key things that that we believe that we we try to stand for as a church, and and don't confuse what I say by meaning it to be too extreme, but the very fact that the outcast, if you will, is welcome here. The one that doesn't fit in every other church can fit here, can belong here, can be loved here, can walk in the doors and still holding to the truth and the grace that we preached and talked about last week. It says that we love you just the way you are, but we promise, God promises not to leave you that way. That truth and that grace and balance. But can you truly walk in to real life church and feel welcome? Can you truly start off coming in the doors knowing that you're loved? I remember kind of some of the feeling of, and you've had some of this in different ways. This is outside of the church context of what it means to kind of be an outcast, to be left out, to be an outsider. Anybody ever felt that way? Maybe feel that way now. It's okay to raise your hands here. This is kind of participatory. Ever felt left out in any situation scenario? Does anybody relate to that in any way? Okay. Yeah, if you raise your hands, I'll just move on to the next point. Okay, so just go ahead and do it. No. But I've, I've been there before. I've felt like the outcast, like the guy that, that doesn't fit. When it came to sports, I never was any good at anything. I remember playing football as, even before middle school. They moved me from one position to the next. It's like, there's just no place for this guy. You know, couldn't catch the ball. Finally, it kind of settled in more than anything into left guard where I could just run people over, kind of let the anger and the frustration just just knock that guy down kind of thing. But I remember there came a time as a teenager that, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, but the Lord got my attention, and I truly understood what it meant to give my life to Jesus, and so I did. Went away to a summer camp, 
or weekend retreat rather, and came back fully, as that song said, decided that I will follow Jesus. No turning back, no matter what. And I didn't care what anybody thought about me. I was going to follow Jesus. And following Jesus in New York in particular around some of the people in my school was definitely a challenge. Just for an example, having a, we had a prayer around the flagpole down in the south. It's almost encouraged by, like, the entire community. Like, yeah, that's great. In New York, my friends that were at a different high school basically were going to have the police called upon them if they met around the flagpole to pray. You're like, really, that happens? It does. That's the kind of scenario that it was. But anyway, I came back fired up from that retreat, and I remember I was going to read my Bible in study, study hall. I read my Bible, started wearing Christian T-shirts. I was really kind of in your face if you're thinking back about it. But I was excited. I was excited to follow Jesus, and I loved Jesus. But I remember just in doing those things how I began to be kind of treated and looked at as an outcast in the rest of the school. It's this weirdo reading his Bible in study hall. You know, here's this guy wearing these Christian T-shirts, and, and, you know, just remember them kind of reading the phrases of them as I walked by, just trying to taunt me and trying to, to agonize, you know, to, to irritate me and get under my skin. And so I began to feel that way. Nobody wants to feel that way, especially in, in church in particular. It should be a place where you're loved and you're welcomed. One of the illustrations that Diane and I ran across, actually it's been a few years ago, that we thought was really cool. Has anybody seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, here we are talking about it in spring of all times. But in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, part of that story, that old great story that comes on TV without fail every season, you have to see it or it's not Christmas kind of thing, you know, has a part of the story where Rudolph ends up at the island of misfit toys, right? It's for the toys, all the toys that don't belong, that don't fit anywhere else. You know, you, you take the thing that's supposed to be the jack-in-the-box and, and, you know, what's your name? And it should be Jack, right? And it's not Jack. It's what? Was it Charlie? No one wants a Charlie in the box, you know. I don't fit. I don't belong. And so in this case, for some reason, they're all banished, right, to this one island. In some ways, <laughs> in some ways we want to be able to, well, we want to be able to incorporate with everybody, but we want to be a safe place place for anyone to come to be loved and to hear the, the story of Jesus and to follow him. We need to be a church that's known as one who will love the unloved, who will welcome the unwelcomed, who will include the left out, who will include the ones that, quote, don't fit. You know, if you've got a guy that you always wanted to bring to church and you say, well, I could never take him to church, this hopefully will be the church that you could say, yeah, you can bring him here. He's going to be loved here. That's the kind of church that I'd like for us to be. See, because there was a lot of people that didn't belong in Jesus' day. There are a lot of people that didn't fit, that didn't quite fit the mold, so to speak, that were left out, that were the outcasts, that were the outsiders. For example, people like the, the lepers, the blind, and the lame. The lepers were literally people that you didn't even want to touch. But sickness during that day was considered to the religious elite, if you will, kind of as a curse of God. And so you didn't want to touch these people. You didn't want to be around these people. And they were always on the outskirts, always on the outside. The poor, of course, didn't belong. 
They didn't have the means to, quote, fit in, if you will. The Samaritans, a group of people that were considered half-breeds during that time, those that were half-Jewish, half they weren't full-blooded Jews, so to speak, and so the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with each other, and they had their religious beliefs, if you will, were a little bit different, actually a lot different than each other, and so they would literally, if a Jew, Jewish person had to go on the other side of Samaria, they wouldn't go through it. They would literally go out of their way to go around it. So those people were left out. There were all kinds that didn't belong, that didn't fit in. However, what we're going to find from Jesus when we look at Scripture is that Jesus is the kind of person, he is God himself, who says that I view things differently. I treat people differently. I have a different perspective than the rest of the world. I want to look at this verse just to begin to show you his heart. In Luke chapter 14, actually, I never put that in there, so you're going to have to listen to me. <laughs> listen close. Jesus was eating, I believe, with one of the Pharisees, and he said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. Don't invite all the the people that you're closest to, so to speak, right? If you do, they, and with all the means and money that they have, um, if you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If you're going to throw a banquet, if you're going to throw a party, he said, don't throw it for all those that, that you would typically welcome, all your close friends, the ones that you're comfortable with. Invite those that society views as the outcasts, so to speak. You want to be blessed by God? Invite those that typically wouldn't be invited. Love those that typically wouldn't be loved. Go out of your way to make a great party, if you will, for them. And he goes in and he tells this story. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. If you want to follow along in your Bible app, by the way, I'm in Luke 14, verse 16 right now. Jesus replied, and he tells a story about a feast. He says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. I've got everything together. But it says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. First of all, just stop for a second. You ever created something wonderful and wanted lots of people to see it? Lots of people to come. You've poured everything into it, your heart, your mind, your money, your resources, everything, and you want it to be special and you want people to come. But then you begin to get those phone calls or those texts. I'm sorry, I can't be there. I've, I've got to wash my clothes tonight. Sorry, I can't be there. I've got to do this. Sorry, I can't be there. First of all, this is a banquet that's being equated as Jesus shares a story to the kingdom of God. This is no ordinary banquet. This isn't just a little lunch, get together for tea kind of thing. This is a big blowout, if you will. And so Jesus has invited initially this particular group of people, and he's talking about the Jewish people, kind of those that have 
have known, if, if you will, to equate it to our time, grown up with the gospel, grown up in church, known all the stuff, so to speak. Those are the people that are kind of invited first, if you will, in this story. The ones that should understand how amazing of a feast, how amazing of a banquet this is, how amazing church really is, what it means to be in the presence of God. They see it, they taste it, they should know this, right? But he begins, begins to get these excuses. Please, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Okay. Another said, I've just bought five yokes of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. It's like the kid that just bought a, a new 360 game, like, sorry, don't have time. I've got to get home and play this thing. You know, got to make, you know, that's all I care about right now. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I wonder what's on his mind. The servant, this is where you laugh, insert laughter here. Great. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame. There's something interesting about that group of people. They didn't really have anything else to do. They may not have had a way to even get there. Okay? That's just... Talk about people that would be grateful for a party. I wonder if they'll come. I wonder if those people realize how valuable of a banquet, an amazing time this is. Go ahead and invite those. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Interesting. You know, those who have grown up that have seen all these things, here we have a group of people that have kind of taken the banquet for granted. They've taken Jesus for granted. And what have they replaced instead? Well, I've, I've got to go see this field I just bought. I've got to go check out this, this thing of oxen that I just got. You know, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to, you know, just earthly excuses for things. And it's really sad when you look back on it because thinking about what they're really missing. Because when it boils down to it, what really matters The oxen are going to die. The field really doesn't belong to you. The marriage one day, not that your your spouse isn't important, bring your spouse, right? The marriage one day, all those things, all that stuff fades away and what is left and what will remain and what has always been is Jesus. It's his kingdom. It's the only thing that is true, that's lasting, that's remaining. And if you want to put your effort and your time, in other words, and your joy into something that lasts, that's real, and that remains. Here it is. Jesus says, if you don't want to come, I've got some other people that I know want to come. Those that have been left out. Those that have been set beside. Jesus welcomes those that no one else wants to welcome. It's pretty incredible. This is the kind of of kingdom that we have. This is a kingdom that welcomes the outcast. 
so we have someone, we had a guy that says, we read in Luke chapter 10, he was a lawyer, the Bible says. In other words, he was a teacher of the law, okay? And the law, when you say lawyer, when you read that in the Bible, is talking about someone who was an expert in the first five books of the Bible they call the Mosaic Law, because Moses was the one God used to write it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So this guy who was an expert in the law, right? The preacher of all preachers, so to speak, the guy who taught preachers, you know, taught the rabbis and, you know, that knew their stuff, says a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test. This is in Luke ten twenty five. Put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what shall I do to go to the banquet, so to speak? What shall I do to truly have eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? What is it that you see, O great lawyer, great teacher? And he answered, and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as, you, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him this, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. That's a great answer. You should be number one in every aspect of your life. That pretty much boils it down in this summary, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said, do that. But the problem is, is that it didn't end there, because in this guy's mind, he wanted to really find out from Jesus, well, who really is my neighbor? You know, it's got to be, in his mind, he's thinking, the people that are closest to me, just the church people too, right? Just those that I'm closest to, who exactly is my neighbor. Who are we talking about here, Jesus? Who are you really asking me to love? And he forced the question. He says this, but wishing to justify himself, make it okay, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him this story. Let me tell you who I'm talking about here. Let me tell you who your neighbor actually is. And so Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. You've probably heard this story before, but listen to who comes by. It says, And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Because this is a Samaritan. This is an outsider. I'm not. He walks around as far away as he can and keeps on going. Likewise, a Levite also. Levites were the people that were in charge, if you will, of kind of maintaining and setting up the temple and keeping all that stuff in order. So they're a part of the church system, so to speak, too, right? So you've got the priest, you have the Levite. Sounds like a beginning. So there's a priest and a Levite. Thank you. Someone laughed. So likewise, the Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Excuse me, the guy wasn't a Samaritan. The Samaritan's the one that helps. Excuse me, I'm getting my story wrong. So there's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. There you go. But a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So the priests and the Levi do nothing, even about someone that we don't, 
don't know if it says exactly if it was a Jewish person who it was. I'm assuming that it was, but they still just went around out of their way not to help, not to do anything. But a Samaritan, this guy steps up, puts him on his beast, takes him to an inn. And here it goes. It says, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. A denarii is literally a day's wages. Took out two days' worth of wages and gave it to the innkeeper to say, Take care of this guy. Can you imagine doing that? What's, you know, don't tell us out loud. It's inappropriate, right? What are you making two days? How much of us say not enough? (laughs) That's funny. What a sacrifice, though, no matter how much you make, to give two out of those five days. You're like, you work five days? That's good for you. Out of five days and gave that to this guy to be taken care of. He didn't just bring him in and do the right thing. He also brought from his personal resources to take care of this guy. And then he says, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So whatever you need, even more, take care of this person. And so Jesus says, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And of course, and he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. See, in Jesus' story, here we find an example of actually the guy who's typically the outcast becomes the hero. Jesus has the Samaritan as the hero in the story, but he is the one that truly loved and truly went out of his way, even as an outcast. For us to be a church that welcomes those that are not welcomed, we have to love in the same way that the Samaritan loves. And we need to do, go even further. We need to do what the Samaritan did and to love our enemies. In Matthew 5, verse 43, if you're following, if you want to look it up, says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. Okay, figured out who that is. And then hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Children of your Father meaning so that you're like your dad, so that you're just like him. You need to love even your enemies. It says he causes the sun to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain in the righteous and the unrighteous. I love this. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, or the word when you understand it is be complete, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's calling us to love more than the people that just love us. And that's really what we just want to do, isn't it? We want to go through life, and we want to worry about our oxen and our land and everything else. We want to love those that love us. That's comfort. That's peace. But Jesus actually has given us a a directive, a mission to go out into all the world sharing the good news of what he's done. And in order for us to do that, that means that we have to love more than just the people in our, our own little circle. We have to love those that 
we don't even know. Those that we may not get along with, those we may not like, those that are the outcast. So that's that's the kind of love Jesus is calling us to have for our neighbor, for our enemies, for those that don't even love us. Jesus was, when you, when you read about this constant battle, it seems, between him and the other religious folks, the Pharisees, Jesus was always kind of the, the guy that was the rule breaker. You find him talking to the, a Samaritan woman at a well. Not just a Samaritan, but in that, that day, not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. You know, what is Jesus doing here? You're not supposed to do that. True rule breaker when it came to that, to the point that they even said about Jesus in a derogatory way that this guy is, is eating and, and drinking with sinners. And look what it says in Matthew 11, or, or listen to what it says in Matthew 11, verse 18. Jesus is talking and he says, for John, talking about John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking. John wasn't involved in any of that kind of stuff. It says, but they say about him that he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So Jesus is accused here, right, by the religious people. Go figure. John was, was perfect in every way, and they didn't like him still. They said, this guy's got a demon. Jesus comes eating and drinking, and they say that he's a glutton and a drunkard. When you hang out with those that are the outcasts, if you will, those that don't belong or those that are not like everybody else, you're going to be accused of being no, no, <laughs> just as, as bad as Jesus was accused. You know, how dare you hang around those people? How dare you be with them? There's always going to be some kind of opportunity that, that religious people sometimes used to try to bring the whole, whole thing down. Jesus healing on the Sabbath as well, doing all the right things, doing what God called them to do, but being blasphemed for it. How dare you do this? How, how dare you love in this way? One of the things that we really need as we, as we wrap up, what I want you to consider as we consider being a church that, that loves everyone, is that we need humility. If we're going to love everyone, we're going to love every person. We really need humility. Because when we think that we're better than somebody else, when we don't see with the eyes of Jesus, we can't, we can't love people. When we look down when we judge, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is one of those verses that it's easy to say, yeah, that's the, that's the right thing, and that's, we, we say all the right stuff, but to really live this out. Think through that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit. What things have you done this week? And I'm asking myself that same kind of question. What things have you done and who have you done them for? What things have you done and who have you done them for? Because this verse says, do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do you value others above yourself? I think maybe there are moments we can easily say that. But the majority of the time, can we say that? That we value other people more than we value numero uno. Because I want this, and I want to do that, and it's all about me. Value others more than yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So we need humility. And we need love. We love, in 1 John 4.19 it says, because he first loved us. Jesus first loved us and showed his love to us. We celebrated that today as we took communion. Okay, And then Jesus says this, or says this in 1 John, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, right, right in front of you with skin and flesh on and bones, right, cannot love God whom they have not seen. It says, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, I want to say something before we, we wrap up with this last passage. First of all, I don't preach this this morning because I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, all right, I know that Carla, I've seen her judge people when they've come into church, shake her head quietly and walk away. You know, I'm not preaching this at you because I think, man, real life, get your act, you know, together. I believe that from what I've seen anyway, as your pastor, that this church does a pretty good job at that. Are we perfect? I'm sure we're not. You know, I haven't witnessed every scenario. And we're, we're imperfect people except for, for Christ. But we preach this this morning so that we stay on the right track, that we be that kind of church, that we be that kind of people. In Matthew chapter 5, to wrap this up, we read this, where it says in verse 13, that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then it says, you are the light of the world. So we're compared to salt. We're compared to light. And it says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Lighting a lamp and put it under a bowl, putting it under a bowl is akin to basically saying, I'm going to love those just within my circle. Let's keep it under a bowl. Let's keep the salt right here. Let's take care of ourselves and love our own and, and just take care of each other. Keeping it under a bowl, salting our own little area is not what God has intended. You're the light of the world. The town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That when they see you, when they see that the light's not just hitting inside this building, but it's hitting outside this building, that, they, that everyone is experiencing the grace of God and the love of Christ, and not just those that we love, not just those that we know, that we become a blessing to the entire world. But, of course, it begins right in our community. The Bible says, when it's talking about the Great Commission, where it says, Go, therefore, 
into all the world. It actually, when you look at the original Greek, says, as you are going. We, we, we do need to go on mission trips and, and get outside of our area. And we're going to talk more about that. We're going to do more of that. But as you are going. You know, and for me, the challenge as I'm going during the week is walking down Main Street. And, and seeing a bunch of people I don't know, a bunch of homeless guys, you know, digging out of the trash can, looking for stuff that's been left in there by other people. What am, what am I doing when I see those people? What am I saying when I see those people? God's called us for, for more. He's called us to not just love in here, but to love out there. And to be so loving and welcoming that those folks, no matter who we envision, the person that I really don't feel comfortable talking to or being around, being in here, that they would be loved, they would be welcomed. Would you stand with me? Lord, help us to be a church that welcomes the unwelcomed, that loves the unloved. Lord, that loves the way that you love us. Lord, you turn things upside down when you were here, when we read about you in Scripture. Stirred things up in a pretty major way just by simply loving people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love people the way that you do. Help us to be unafraid, to step outside of our circles. Lord, help us to trust in you with everything. Lord, we're so grateful to be in a place, be part of a church, Lord, that is welcoming and loving. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that we can truly relax and, and be ourselves, knowing that you're changing us also and molding us in ways that we need to be changed in order to be more like you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we remember you. We continue to remember you as we did during communion. Lord, as Easter approaches, Lord, help us to reflect on just all that you've done, how amazing you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.